Have you ever felt left out? Yeah, probably so. I have. I was, I was thinking back um, to a time when I was uh, probably nine or ten years old. Uh, living, we lived in a little small town uh, in Colville when I grew up. So during the 1980s, that's where I called my, that's what I called my home, Colville, Washington, northeast part of the state. Um, and we had one movie theater there in that town. And it played, uh, it played usually two movies every night, 7 p.m. and another one at 9 p.m. or something like that, or actually 10 minutes or whatever after the other one, uh, the first one ended. And, and you could pay, you get one ticket, you can watch both of them. Double feature every night. It was it was pretty awesome. Um, the the thing about living in a small town like that is you get movies about six months or so after everybody else sees them. So I remember I must have been nine, maybe ten, and uh, the movie The Return of the Jedi came to town, and I saw I saw tr movie trailers for this third Star Wars movie and, and um, saw posters up on the theater mark, you know, next to the marquee at the theater. And we were anticipating, uh, all my friends were going to go see it. And so um, this night when uh, all my friends said, hey, do you want to go see this movie? Our, our, my parents are taking us and, and we're going to go, and we're going to go see this movie. And I was thinking, yes, I do. And I said, dad, mom, can I go see this movie with my friends? And they said, they said, no. He said, no. I said, no, maybe, I don't think so. You're, maybe, you're, you're too young. Or my parents were concerned about the force. Or, you know, something like that. There's all these reasons. Or maybe they saw these, maybe they saw uh, what Princess Leia was wearing in the posters. And they said, that can't be a good movie for a little boy to go see. I don't know. I missed out on it. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if they'll ever ask me to go see a movie again. Um, there have been other times I've, been, I've missed out or I've been left out of something. Um, and sometimes because I wasn't invited. Has that ever happened to you? Like you hear about something that happened and after the fact you go, oh, that sounds like it would have been a lot of fun. I, get, I sure wish I would have been invited to come. Um, over the years, I've kind of gotten over that, feeling bad about that kind of thing. Um, but there's part of us, I think, that feel left out sometimes. Like, we want to be part of it. We want to be part of what's going on. We want to be part of the good times. We will even settle for being part of the bad times, just so that we can feel like we're, we're part of something. We're, we're part of a, a community. Well... That's kind of what's going on in Nehemiah chapter 7 this week. As we, we've been looking through uh, the book of Nehemiah, we've been focusing on this theme of, of restoration, restored, pursuing true purpose. And we've been seeing how Nehemiah and the people of Israel, how God's people um, were pursuing true purpose through the rebuilding of the wall through uh, establishing, establishing themselves as a community in Jerusalem once again. And here they, 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 they discover some important things about what it means to be together, what it means to be community. They find out that they're appointed 
for various works in these various places and various roles within the city and within the gathered community. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 7 together. And I'll tell you what, we're just going to read the whole thing. So buckle up. It's actually 73 verses, but most of the verses are very short, just two or three words. So it won't take too long. But um, it's, it's pretty important, and you get to hear me try to pronounce all these uh, difficult names. I, tried to, I wanted to pass this off to Chris and maybe have him preach and do all of these difficult names, but it just didn't work out that way this week. So um, I get to try all the difficult names. All right? So let's have some fun. Looking at Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 1 all the way to the end. Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he, Hananiah, Hananiah for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first. And I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. They came with Zerubbabel, Yeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispereth, Bigvai, Nehum, Bana. The number of the men of the people of Israel. The sons of Parash, 2,172. The sons of Shephatiah, 372. The sons of Ara, 652. The sons of Pahath Moab, namely the sons of Yeshua and Joab, 2,818. The sons of Elam, 1,254. The sons of Zatu, 845. The sons of Zakai, 760. The sons of Binui, 648. The sons of Babai, 628. The sons of Asgad, 2,322. The sons of Adonikam, 667. The sons of Bigvi, 2,067. The sons of Adin, 655. The sons of Ater, namely of Hezekiah, 98. The sons of Hashum, 328. The sons of Bazai, 324. The sons of Harif, 112. The sons of Gibeon, 95. The men of Bethlehem and Netophah, 188. The men of Anathoth, 128, the men of Beth Asmaveth, 42, the men of Kiriath Jearim, Kephirah, Biroth, 743, the men of Ramah and Geba, 621, the men of Mikmas, 122, the men of Bethel and Ai, 123, the men of the other Nebo, 52, the sons of the other Elam, 1254, the sons of Harim, 320, the sons of Jericho, 345, the sons of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 721. The sons of Sanaa, 3930. The priests, 
the sons of Jediah, namely the house of Yeshua, 973. The sons of Emer, 1052. The sons of Pashur, 1247. The sons of Harim, 1017. The Levites, the sons of Yeshua, namely of Kadmiel, of the sons of Hadeva, 74. The singers, the sons of Asaph, 148. The gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Ater, the sons of Talman, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, the sons of Shobai, 138. The temple servants, the sons of Ziha, the sons of Hasaphah, the sons of Tabaoth, the sons of Karas, the sons of Sia, the sons of Padan, the sons of Labana, the sons of Hagaba, the sons of Shalmai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Gahar, the sons of Reah, the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nekoda, the sons of Gazam, the sons of Uzzah, the sons of Paseah, the sons of Basai, the sons of Meunim, the sons of Nephashesim, excuse me, the sons of Bakbub, the sons of Hakufa, the sons of Harhur, the sons of Bazlith, the sons of Mehida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkas, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tamah, the sons of Neziah, the sons of Hatifa. The sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Sophereth, the sons of Perida, the sons of Jala, the sons of Darkon, the sons of Gidel, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pachereth, Hazabaim, the sons of Ammon. All the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. The following were those who came up from Tel Melah, Tel Harsha, Kerub, Adon, and Emer. But they could not prove their father's houses nor their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nekodah, 642. Also of the priests, the sons of Hobiah, the sons of Hakaz, the sons of Barzillai, who had taken a wife of the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by their name, these sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there, so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until a priest with Urim and Thummim should arise. The whole assembly gathered together was 42,360. Besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 245 singers, male and female. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6,720. Now some of the heads of fathers' houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, three, or 30 priest garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of fathers' houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priest garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. Let us pray. 
Father, this is the word of the Lord. This is your word to us. Help us to have understanding. Help us to be humble as we listen to your word, what you want to speak to each and every one of us, myself included. God, I pray you will work in our hearts. Transform us by your word today. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. God has appointed all of his people to particular works in particular places to bring God glory as a gathered community. Can I say that again? That's, that's the theme, that's the thesis of this message. That's what the message is all about today. God has appointed all of his people to particular works in particular places to bring God glory as a gathered community. Let's see, what, let's see where we see this. Look, at, look with me to verse 1. I'm going to point out some unique words in the text that um, are, uh, we would see them as synonyms in our English. In fact, sometimes in, in, in two of these words, the same English word is used, but for a different um, Hebrew synonym. But look with me at these significant words they, that give us our title for today. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. So there's our first word, appointed. That's the title of our message, appointed. This word for appointed um, means that they were given a charge to, to protect or to care um, for the work that was being done. The gatekeepers were put in place. Why gatekeepers? Because they had finally finished the wall. They had finally built it up. They had secured the city. They had put the gates in place. And they had put the doors up in the gates. And now they needed gatekeepers. The, the, it's fine to have a city wall. <laughs> it's fine to have a structure. It's fine to have an organization. But you must have people to man it. So God appointed these people, and, and through Nehemiah, we hear from his testimony, his, his uh, uh, narrative, here's his memoir here, he, we see that we are appointed, so if I can make that for us today, we are appointed to oversee the protection and care of the work, just as the gatekeepers were appointed. Their, their job, the, the nuance of this particular word in verse 1, is that they are overseers. They oversee the work. They oversee the particular work of protecting, caring for this, this duty. We also see that there are singers and Levites here appointed too. And it, it, it might be interesting to think, well, what do, what, does, what do singers have to do with the wall? What do, what do Levites have to do with the city wall? Do you know about the Levites? What were the Levites' job? What was the Levites' job in the Old Testament? To care for the temple. They took care of the temple. They, um, he'd say, they, they, they opened the temple doors at, uh, every, every morning of worship. Um, they made sure that the building was clean. Um, they made sure that the tools were in place. They made sure that the sound system was set up. I don't know, some, stuff like that. The Levites were there to work in the temple, and the singers were there to lead in the worship at the temple. But here we're talking about the walls and the doors and... Well, what's going on here? Why, why singers and Levites? Because they were going to have a significant role in the walls, in, in, 
coming up, actually. Um, in a few chapters, we're going to see how the, the singers and the Levites and other people that would normally function just in the temple were out there dedicating the walls, dedicating the city to the work of the Lord. They all had a different and unique role. They all had a different place to do the work. But their job here in this situation was to oversee it, to protect it and to care for it. Even the singers and the Levites are given as overseers to care for their particular area of work. After this one verse, I guess the question could be asked of us. What has God appointed you to that, are, that you are charged with doing? What is the work that, that you are pursuing to the glory of God? We've been talking about that a lot over the last few weeks. Um, throughout the book of Nehemiah. We've been talking about pursuing our true purpose. We've, we saw in chapter 3 how every individual family had a different role. And, and in, a, in a way that's a parallel to the New Testament times that we live in. The church times, the church age, if you will, where we are all given different unique gifts. And we're, we're, we're called to steward those gifts. We're called to oversee in a sense, those gifts in our own lives. It's so, it's so neat to observe our church and to see how, how different everybody is. But to see people who are stepping into significant areas uh, within the church and using their gifts in key ways and then see fruit come from that is really exciting. How about you? What have you been appointed to? Are you overseeing it? Are you, are you protecting and caring for that work? Have you taken a serious, uh, serious uh, glimpse as to what God has called you to do? What He has appointed you to do and to be? We're appointed to oversee the protection and care of the work that God has given us. But look with me at the next verse. We see that in Nehemiah's memoir, he he writes that he gave, uh, he gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge. So it's kind of a split verb. The verb is split up. It's kind of weird. But the verb is, in English, is gave charge. He gave charge to these two men. He, he appointed them to have charge over, the, all, over all of Jerusalem. They were going to they were going to, to basically um, command the Jerusalem. That, that's kind of the, that's the, that's the, the essential meaning of the word, commanded. And what's interesting about this word, give charge, which doesn't sound like command per se, but most of the time when this word is used in the Old Testament, it is used of God. God giving his commandments, or God commanding the people. And so it's interesting that Nehemiah uses this kind of word for his brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle. And he says, you guys are going to command because the implication, I think, is that because God has commanded us. God has appointed us to work. And so we are appointed to have charge of the work, 
But we do that as God's representatives. So if you think about the pastor of the church, a lot of people have the view that the pastor is in charge of the church. Who's in charge here? And usually somebody, like the pastor, raises hand and then takes the fall um, for whatever's wrong, right? Um, and there's a, there's, a good, there's a good reason for that. Why? Because he's God's representative. God is the one who's in charge. God was, co- in, was in command over Jerusalem. God was in command over Israel. And in the New Testament time, we say this, that, that Jesus is the shepherd of the church. He's the chief shepherd. He is the pastor of the church. This is, this is Jesus Christ's church. And the pastor and elders and deacons and any other leaders in the church going all the way down to our youngest little ones who are, they, they're really the ones in charge, uh, if, we're, if we're honest. Um, but... In, at every level of any organization having to do with the church, God is ultimately in charge. God is ultimately in command. Yet, He has appointed others to have charge over His church under His authority as God's representatives, as I said. What kind of a man, what kind of a person would that be? A faithful and God-fearing man, Nehemiah says. This man was unique. This man, Hananiah, um, and probably his brother, Hanani, uh, would have been considered a faithful and God-fearing man as well, according to Nehemiah. But this man is unique, because up until this point, we looked at Chapter 5, we looked at nobles and, and officials and those who were in charge, who had command, who were taking advantage of the people, who were, who were in it for the money, who were taxing and, and, and exacting interest and taking property and you, doing whatever they could to, to better their bottom line rather than to care for the people. And then in, verse, or in chapter 6, we saw nobles and officials who were in line with Tobiah who were attempting not to get money, but the other side of it was to get power and to get authority and to get influence. And then here in chapter 7, briefly mentioned, just two names, two of probably many because Nehemiah said, I can trust these guys. Why? Because they're faithful. They've proven themselves faithful. They, have, they, are de- they can be depended on. They're trustworthy. You can, you can give them a job. You can, you can give them charge of something. And you know they're going to come through with it. They're God-fearing. They're men who know that they're going to probably fail. They're probably going to mess up. But they know that God is God. And they can fall on their face before Him. They have a fear of God, a respect, an honor, a, a sense of His awesomeness. As we, we, we said earlier in this, in this book, the fear of God. These are faithful and God-fearing men. These are the kinds of people that God appoints to have charge of the work as his representatives. 
How about you? What's your faithful, God-fearing level? <laughs> What's your fear of God like? Would people describe you as somebody who's God-fearing? Well, if we, I think if we had a grasp of what that meant, um, you know, readily available, um, we could probably answer that question a little bit better. Uh, are we people who are, who by our, the way we live our lives, by our seriousness about the things of God and prayer and, and His Word and, and, and personal holiness, uh, would people say they have a fear of God because they take that stuff pretty seriously, yet they're also joyful too. I, we've got to put that in and we'll look at that next week as well. The joy of the Lord. But are we faithful? I, I, I fear in my own life that, that it's only by God's grace that I've been put in charge of anything. Because I don't feel very faithful all the time. I feel like I'm letting people down. I feel like I'm, I'm leaving things undone constantly. But yet... What's the overall perspective on our lives? Are we dependable? Are we faithful to be in charge of what God has for us by His grace? We are appointed to oversee the protection and care of the work. We're appointed to have charge of the work as God's representatives. Let me give you the next one. And then we'll look at verses 3 and 4. We're appointed to stand ready to serve. We are appointed to stand ready to serve. Look at the next uh, phrase. Uh, verses 3 and 4. Um, they say, or, or Nehemiah says, And I said to them, so he, he gives them an order. He says, okay, this is how you're going to do things. Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. Don't open them early in the morning. Wait till the sun comes up. Wait till there's light. Wait till we can see what's going on. Okay? where it's safe. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Don't leave your post in the middle of the day. Stand guard. Stay at your post. Remain there. And at the end of the day, shut and bar the doors. And then he uses this next word for appoint. And appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. Because remember there were homes throughout the city. Oh, many of them built into the walls. And so they said, it makes sense for them to stand guard right there and keep watch over the city wall where they live. Appoint. He uses this word appoint. And this word appoint is, is to, to, to essentially establish oneself or to stand before something. Um, in fact, the word is often translated as stand, like stand before God. Or stand before uh, another person. In other, and, and the meaning to that is, like, in other words, you're ready. You're ready to serve. You stand ready to serve God. You stand ready to serve another person. It, it's, 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 it would be like a very formal dinner party. We don't have many of those nowadays because we don't necessarily um, employ many servants in our homes. I don't know anyone um, in our church family that employs servants in their homes to stand ready to serve them during their meals. But wouldn't that be nice? Um, 
But it, it, back in the day, that's what you'd have. You'd have a large dinner party, and you'd have servants standing ready. And they would stand at the door, or they'd stand off to the side, and then when the table needed to be cleared, a place cleared, they'd, they'd, they'd uh, clear that. Or when the master of the table said, hey, we need something. Okay, let's, let's go. Let's, let's get it ready. They're standing ready to serve. And that's what we are called to do. Just like, the, just like the guards here were appointed to stand ready to serve at a moment's notice, ready at their posts, we ought to be those kinds of people too. We ought to stand ready to serve. When is God going to call us to serve? When is the need going to arise? Sometimes the work of God, it happens just like that. In other words... An opportunity comes up, and are we going to be ready for it? Will we, re will we be ready to witness, to bear witness with our voice, to speak a word about the gospel? Will we be ready to lend a listening ear and, and listen to somebody uh, give counsel or, or take counsel? Uh, will, we, will we be there in a moment of crisis? Will we be there when, when it's time to celebrate? Are we, do we stand ready to serve one another? Do we stand ready to serve those who are outside of our family who need to be served as, as well? The city was wide and large, he says in verse 4. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. In other words, the work is great. There are very few people to do it. Those who are doing it need to stand ready to serve. It reminds me of what Jesus said, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's a lot of work to be done. There's, great, there's, there's, there's a greatness to the city. There's a greatness to the work, a greatness to the project. But the people were few. The people were few who were ready, standing ready to serve. I think that's what got Nehemiah thinking. And and then God put something into his heart in verse 5. God put it into his heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. Why would he do something like that? Because he wanted to make lists. He loved lists, obviously. Uh, um, he loved uh, lists of names and numbers and things like that because maybe he was an accountant, part-time accountant. I don't know. No, I don't think so. God put this into his heart. God revealed to him that the city is wide and large and the people within it are few. How are we going to repopulate the city? First of all, we need to find out who we have. Who is available for the work? Who belongs here? Who's part of the people? Let's go back through the records. So they went back through the records of a, almost a hundred and some odd year old list. And they found this list. So let's go verse by verse through this list. Now I'm just, I'm just teasing. We're not going to go verse by verse through this list. But he, 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 we see that God put something in his heart. Let me, let me mention one thing. that this was, this was interesting to me. God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. Sounds like he's taking a census, right? Does it, anybody remember a story in the Old Testament where a leader of the people took a census? How did that go for him?
King David did. King David took a census. Near the end of his ministry, near the end of his ministry, near the end of his reign as a king, he took a census of the people. He wanted to know, so what is our strength really like? I mean, how big is our army? How many people do we have? Ever get the, you ever get the urge to count numbers or, or dollars or something like that? Go, well, how are, how are we really doing? I mean, how, what's that attendance really like? When we, go to a, when we go to the church planter conference, they'll say, well, how are you guys doing? And the first thing that they'll expect you to hear is, how many people are coming to your Sunday worship gathering? And then they'll go, oh, so you guys are doing okay. Or, oh, so you guys are doing really good. Right? That's the, I mean, it's just, it's just human nature. I'm not casting judgment on anyone or... I, maybe on myself, but it's human nature to want to count things. And it's okay to count things. God put it into his heart to count. That's what's, that's what's key about this. Unlike King David, who did this census and counted up the people and counted up the army to see how many, see, see what his strength was as a king and got in trouble for it, Nehemiah says, God put this into my heart. He said, you need to know who belongs here. Who is part of this work? Who is appointed to oversee? Who is appointed to have charge? Who is appointed to stand ready to serve? Who is appointed to build up the city, to occupy the city for this work? And so Nehemiah does it. And they look. And they find the book. And they find what was written there. And they discover that what what we need to discover that we are appointed to gather as a community to bring God glory. Remember what I said before? God has appointed all of His people to particular works in particular places to bring God glory as a gathered community. And here in this census, I believe that Nehemiah's goal, his, his, his focus, his purpose on pulling these records back up, these old records that the families living now could connect themselves to, they could say, yes, that's my family. Yes, those the people that I belong to. That was a two or three generations before. But we're here. We've got our inheritance in place. Our, we, we're part of this. We're part of this history. We are part of this community. We are appointed to gather as a community to bring God glory. And, and the, the word gather comes from verse 5. Then God put it in, into my heart to assemble. To assemble. The gathering. And that's why I always use the term worship gathering to refer to what we do on Sunday morning. Even though... I don't, there's nothing wrong with the word service, like a worship service, because we are serving one another and serving the Lord at this time too. But because the Bible talks about the people of God gathering together for worship, assembling, congregating, so to speak. And here he's doing the same thing, uses one of those many terms in the Old Testament for assembling or gathering together. And he says that, we, we gathered, I gathered the nobles, the officials, and the people. Got them all together and said, 
We're going to have a reading from the Bible. Nehemiah, chapter 7, verses 6 through 73. It's a very stimulating reading. Very inspiring and devotional. But we're going to read it together so, so we know who we are. We know who is appointed so that nobody is left out. So everyone is here who belongs here. Notice a few things about this list. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But just notice a few things. Verses 6 and 7. Particularly verse 7. It's interesting that at, at the very beginning of this explanation of this list and this genealogy, that they list the, the exiles that, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to this town. They came with, in other words, they, he says, these were their leaders. And you, you read those, lead, those names and go, okay, who are these people? That's a different Nehemiah. That's, it's not Nehemiah who's writing the memoir. It's a different Nehemiah. Um, Mordecai. It's a different Mordecai than the one we read in Esther, just, just in case you're wondering. Uh, Zerubbabel and Yeshua, they, they start the list off. Zerubbabel was a descendant of King David. Uh, Yeshua was actually a priest, and, and they were kind of the one-two punch, the king and the priest. Boom, we're going to do this. We just need a prophet to, to round out this trinity of leadership. We'll be good to go. But if you count the names here in Nehemiah, there are twelve. I think that's probably significant. There were 12 names. There were probably other leaders of the people. But I think Nehemiah made sure that the 12 names were listed here in this genealogy because 12 represents the whole people of God. Remember, there were 12 tribes of Judah. So the leaders represented the whole people of God. They also had particular... They all had particular work to do. Remember, God has appointed all of his people to particular works in particular places to bring God glory as a gathered community. And they had particular work to do. There were the number of the men from, from all of these families, and then um, the sons of this, the sons of this, and then they go on to say the men of this, the men of this. So we've got a mixture of family names and we've got a mixture of place names. They belong to certain families. They also belong to certain cities or villages or towns. And then in verse 39, it's the priests. And in verse 43, it's the Levites. In 44, it's the singers. Levites and singers. Sound familiar? We looked at those guys in verse 1. Then the gatekeepers. Oh, verse 45, gatekeepers. These were probably the gatekeepers of the temple, not necessarily the gatekeepers of the city, but I bet they, they probably cross-trained pretty well keeping gates. And then verse 46, the temple servants. And then 50, 57, Solomon's servants. So these are the descendants of the people that Solomon had established to do all kinds of work in the temple and in the city. Everybody had a particular work to do. And the work that is emphasized, the category that is emphasized here, is the place of the temple. The importance of worship. The importance of the people of God giving glory to God. And so they didn't leave those names out. They could have broken down the people in a lot of other ways too, I suppose. Like, maybe not the gatekeepers, but the, the ones who kept the sheep, or the, the ones who, who worked at the mill, or the ones who, you know, cut the, the timber down. But they didn't do that. 
They emphasized in this list the people who are going to do the work of the temple because the worship of God was ultimate for the people of Israel. There were some, though, notice in verse 61 and on, there were some who could not prove that they belonged to the community. They said, well, we're sons of so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. But they looked in the records beyond this genealogy and they said, we don't see evidence of your family here. And there were priests who said, well, we're the sons of so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. We are a priestly family. We have the right to work in the temple. And they said, well, we don't see your name there. So we are going to have to hold you guys at bay until we have a way to decide this matter. And the way they decided the matter was with Urim and Thummim. These were stones that the high priest would use. And God would help him discern um, d uh, what choice to make. And they would use those stones and God would... Uh, it sounds kind of, kind of like rolling dice or something, but they believed that God was sovereign over that and that God would help them decide that matter. And so they had all of these people who couldn't prove that they belonged. What did they do with them? They, they held them off. But we see there, though, even so, that some of these names probably sound a little familiar. Does the name Deliah sound familiar? We actually saw a name like that in chapter 6, was it? Chapter 6, there's a man who was of the son of Deliah and the sons of Tobiah. Is this an ancestor of the Tobiah that's been causing all of these problems for Nehemiah this whole time? Maybe, maybe, maybe so. We know that they were, they were excluded. Why? Because they, they could not prove that they belonged to Israel. They took it seriously who they were as a community. They took it seriously that they were a, a holy place, a, a holy community. So they, they, held, they held judgment until they were able to decide the matter with a priest. And then the last observation is verse 73 the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. They all had a particular place. And in part of their inheritance, a role, a, an, an area that was their place to be. And, and I think verse 73 helps to emphasize that, that they all took the inheritance that belonged to them. God has appointed all of his people to particular works in particular places to bring God glory as a gathered community. Uh, some reflections from the New Testament. Acts 13 verse 48 refers to, refers to God appointing people to eternal life. Those who were appointed to eternal life believed. The, those who were appointed, that's a, a divine uh, passive tense of a verb, indicating that it was God who was behind the appointing. In Ephesians 4.11, it says that he gave some to be uh, apostles and evangelists and uh, pro uh, prophets and uh, pastors and teachers. It's, it's God who is appointing people for particular works in the church. 
Acts 17 verse 26 in, in Paul's uh, testimony to uh, the, 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 the folks gathered in Athens. I'm going to turn to that to make sure I don't mislead you with any miswords. But he says this in that place. He says this about God. He said, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. It's God who appoints people to particular places. You may be wondering, why do I live in Yakima? I've often asked that question myself. It's God who, who pointed you here. You live here because God wants you to live here. This is where He's put you. This is where He's appointed you. I have had to reflect on that. <laughs> and, to, and to claim that promise. God knows what He's doing. This is where I'm supposed to, This is the place I'm supposed to be. And I'm here for a particular work as well. 1 Peter 4.11 says that God appoints people for service. That He's given gifts to His church. That every, every individual has a gift. That if someone has a gift to speak, speak as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And that is the point of the gathered community. That we are a family made that way by Jesus Himself. John 1 verses 12 to 13 says that, uh, that but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, Jesus' name, He gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the, the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. Into His family. That's what we are. That's what the church is, the gathered community. How should we work in the places that God has given us? We should work to bring God glory. That's our ultimate purpose. The, 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 the ultimate end, uh, the chief end of man. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that's what we see in Revelation. Bill read that passage earlier. Revelation 21. We see the bride coming. We see uh, the bride which is the church. We see the church described in Revelation 21 as a city. The new Jerusalem. And in verse 22, he says, I saw no temple in the city. How are they going to worship God? How are they going to how how are the people of God going to worship God? Because the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. That our our purpose to gather together is to bring God glory in every way. And we notice there in those verses it says the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Yes, we saw that the wicked are like chaff, that the wind blows away. We see that the, uh, nothing unclean will enter the city, nor anyone who does what is detestable and false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We are appointed, we are appointed by the blood of the Lamb. We are written in, in the Lamb's book of life. We are written in the list of the genealogy. Because of Jesus. 
by His blood, written in His blood, to be about particular works in particular places to bring God glory as a gathered community. Let's do that together, shall we? Father, I pray that you will do that work in us, through us, to us. God, give, give us greater and deeper understanding of what you have appointed us to do and to be as a people. We know that with you, we are never left out. We're never missing from action unless we, unless we refuse to come back to you. Unless we refuse to return to be restored to you, to pursue true purposes. Your son Jesus is calling out to us. His blood calls out to us to respond in faith to the work that you have for us to do. God, may we do that for your glory, for our joy, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.